I've never actually met someone from North Dakota. So oh, I really? was You're I was like fired up when I met him. Well, you've met someone from North Dakota before? Um, yeah, I have. I'm from the Midwest. Oh, all so right. Well, let's start I... it up. Sarah Harvard. Yeah, oh, just yeah. Let, let's get your... We, we just wanna, yeah, we just want to get these... Oh, you want to take that out, kind of? Oh, is it possible? No, it's fine. No, cool. I set it up for okay, you like fine. this. Just we'll make sure we're there. Sarah Harvard, we're live. Oh, hell Good yeah. Good to see nice you. To Thanks see for you coming too. on the Thank Ted Jones so World Podcast. for having me. Of course, yeah. guys, we got the silly glasses right away. You know, I figure we'd start silly and then maybe get more serious. <laughs> I'm looking at the mirror thinking that's the camera. Well, you can look, you can look wherever you want, okay, whatever. I'll mirror, we'll, we'll get you either way. Sarah Harvard, a very serious comedian, I will say. Okay. I saw that you had over 30 shows. Was that last month or this month? This month. Actually, it's not, not to brag, but I have about 36 now to keep adding up. So that's great. So it's yeah. averaging once a day at least. Yeah, pretty much. I should almost almost. Well, yeah, once a day. But like some days I'll have like most days I have two to three shows. That's great. Which is pretty cool. And then balancing on that on top of you were just talking about looking for a copywriting job. Yeah. I mean, if you're hiring, um, hold on. Let me if you're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> Take <laughs> off your series. Yeah, glasses. Let, me, let me get my real glad I don't have them but like yeah it's kind of hard but uh but I, I think I want to get I'm done being a starving artist even though I don't look like one but like I don't I just need a job you know to finance my comedy career it'd be cool to like you know do my own special eventually or like finance my own sketches and projects so yeah okay and then that for the most part would be like a nine to five kind of situation you're yeah, thinking about nine to five, ten to six okay so you talked about growing up in the Midwest, you're from there and then moving to New York. So let's start from the freaking beginning. Yeah. So um, on June 11th, 1993, my parents smuggled me across the border. It's a whole story. My mom, well, my mom is, they're not Miss Mexican. My mom's Japanese. My dad's Moroccan. And they met in English second language class in Chicago. Then they had me and they got married. Well, they got married in Japan. And then they had, they had me and then they're like, they wanted their kid to be born in America. So my mom's about to be popping. This is in Japan? Well, yeah. But then they like flew to Vancouver and then they went from Vancouver to the United States. Then they flew to Denver. But my mom was like eight months pregnant and like she was clearly about to pop. And like somehow the Custom Borders Patrol, like they're um, when they check for your like, you know, visa and stuff. It's so hot. Mom's so short. So they didn't see her belly. Stop. Yeah. So they're like, are you here for business or pleasure? She's like, oh, I guess pleasure. Like, but like. So she was so lucky. It's like clearly suspicious that like an immigrant is. But how do you know what happened this way? My mom and dad told me the story. They're like, "Oh, you're you're meant to be born in America." So what? Did your mom have like a big like luggage piece over her belly? No, or? she was just like popping out. But the guy in front of her was tall. The uh, the seating is tall, and yeah. she's short, so they couldn't even see it. So she's just like. But there wasn't more than just this one guy like making I mean, the fate of you and your family's though. life. That's true. Yeah, you so did I don't know what it was that. like that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. I thought, I mean, I'm not born after 2011, Ted. Well, <laughs> 2001. I'm no, I know, but also, but like coming in from Vancouver, maybe they thought it was like a little bit closer to the United States. So they weren't like checking people as um, thoroughly. I don't know. Maybe. I also think that that time, like they did, immigration wasn't huge of a problem from sure. Canada to the U.S. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and they flew to Denver and I was born there. And then. I was there in Denver for about a year and I lived in Japan until I was like five or seven. So you moved from Denver back to Japan. Mm -hmm. Do you yep. speak Japanese? It was my first language, but I forgot all of it. I know like a few words. I could like say like, 
uh, sumo tonini, sumo. Like I could say like I'm trying to become a sumo wrestler and like stuff like that. <laughs> the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, or like I taught David Beckham how to play soccer. Nice. I, I also don't know how to say just kidding. So like in Japan, they'll crack up because I'll just be like, just kidding, just kidding after saying everything. So yeah. Love that. Easy way to get mm-hmm. laughs. Yeah. So Japan. Uh, I was going to say Japanese, but Japanese was your first That's first a good language. rapper name for me. Japanese. We're making it happen. That's hell yeah. Just give me a portion of that 10%. I won't yeah, see you. Yeah, you be my okay, So being Japanese, you started speaking the language at five years old. Um, I think I hope I learned how to speak Japanese when I was like one or two. <laughs> Before that. I was I was mute for five but years. You, you were <laughs> integrated in the Japanese society yes, starting at five years old, potentially mm-hmm. maybe earlier than that. But when did you come back to the United States and start to so learn I how to should, speak English? Like, it was a little complicated. So we yes. went back and forth like since I was three to America. But I don't think we fully left Japan until it was like fully until I was like seven ish. If that makes sense. Because, like, moving to a different country is a huge thing for us. Okay. So, um, and my grandmother, like, took a lot of care for me when I was in Japan. So when my parents were settling, it took a couple of years. And also there was, like, an immigration issue, too. So, like, they took about... So I lived in America for a while. I went to, I went to kindergarten in America. Where in America? Chicago. Um, and then I went to preschool in Japan. And for the most part, I would, I would go to school in America. But during breaks, I would live in Japan, you know. And it's so funny because, like, growing up, I always get, like jealous that like for winter break all my friends like went to ohio for vacation and i'm like how dumb am i that like oh i'm so jealous these kids went to ohio like to go go to japan Japan. you know it's freaking wild but uh but yeah that's like pretty much my origin story i guess uh it's pretty worldly but now i'm just like i like i want to go to fucking i don't know utah like that's my Dream vac- I like the mundane, if that makes sense. You moved from Chicago, though, to New York? Um, I went to school. Sorry, I, my whole life's a mess. Oh, good. Let's hear. We got time. Um, I went to school in D.C. Um, I was a full-ride swimmer. Where? Uh, first year at George Mason University. Okay. And then I, there's a whole sad thing that I got injured, and I also like, deal with like, a lot of like um, weird Basically, my university was like hazing really bad towards freshmen. And I was a freshman. Like, well, was it like swim team hazing or swim were you in a sorority? Yeah, it's wild. They made the girls, like, for example, drink, uh, get drunk, and then dance topless in the dining hall. Um, they one time they kidnapped us off campus. I didn't go to that, but I heard that, like, they made these girls, they blindfolded these girls and they made someone drink urine and stuff. Like, it was like, it was really intense. The one thing they made me do was, like, um, chug a bunch of Diet Cokes and Coors Lights and then um, eat a bunch of Twinkies and run to like throw up, which is like not that bad compared to other things. But it's still terrible because I grew up Muslim. And I didn't drink alcohol then. So like for me um, and a mom, if you're watching, I didn't drink alcohol now either. But mm-hmm. like, but it was pretty, it was pretty intense. Um, so they like suspended the university. I didn't like kind of vibe with the team. So I left. They, sus- they suspended the team? Sorry, they suspended the team. I can't talk today. They you're suspended good. the team. Team um, for only like three swim meets, isn't that insane? Like I feel like I don't know. Um, <laughs> so this is like the seniors on the team were making you do this. Upperclassmen, and so 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm like dying. Right it's okay. You're all good. Have a sip. So when I was actually a freshman, I was talking about this. I walked into the Dwayne Reed, which is a couple blocks away here, and I saw a Krispy Kreme donut pack, <laughs> and it reminded me of freshman year. We passed. We were in Puerto Rico freshman year. We passed by a Krispy Kreme donuts, and like I always talk about, like, oh, I can eat so much. I can do. I was a freshman in college, so I was trying to be cool as always. I was talking shit. We passed by a Krispy Kreme donut. One of the seniors was like, Ted, how many Krispy Kreme donuts do you think you can eat? And I was like, easily. I can have 24 and the guy on the team was like all right bet so we had half the team like bet on me half the other team thought I was going to throw up right away mm -hmm. I housed 24 Krispy Kreme oh, donuts yeah. then 15 seconds later I just projectile vomited oh, no. that was the last time I had Krispy Kreme donuts I just imagine little donuts just like flying out <laughs> yeah literally I was shooting donuts like when people blow smoke rings that was me with the donuts but like I, I was dipping it in water by That's like, like donut 16 yeah it was just like a it was like the vegan hot dog eating contest but with donuts and I felt like shit. Yeah, afterwards. I heard about that. How was that? The vegan hot dog eating contest was terrific. Guys, early entry fee. If you guys would like to join the fourth annual Ted Jones World Vegan Hot Dog Eating Contest, hit me up here on DM or tedjonesworld at gmail.com. There will be an entry fee, but we'll get you your early application in. It was amazing. And it was one of the crazier events I've ever been a part of, obviously. Mm -hmm. It came down to the wire. The winner ended up eating 10 vegan hot dogs. That's so it was 9-9 yeah. uh, at the end of the 10-minute regulation. Oh, hell yeah. And I also feel like it's easier to eat vegan hot dogs than like regular meat. Maybe, yeah. And the funny know. thing about not, it is Not like, to shit on that. <laughs> no, no, no. The funny thing about it is people kept asking me like, what's in vegan hot dogs? Oh. I was like, you never ask what's in regular hot dogs, That's do you? True. Right? People don't worry about it. People are just like, all right, it's the worst part about yeah, pigs. I, I would rather blindly eat vegan meat than like regular meat yeah what sense. totally and like it's crazy because people really don't think like that people are like oh i want my meat i want my cows and then people Ugh. like make faces about the vegan meat which i sometimes don't understand but let's talk a little bit more yeah, about your about your college life yeah uh college was interesting so uh freshman year i was kind of really i don't know i was a villain on campus i would say that because i had dealt with the whole like shit with like swimming um, but then I like ran for student government and like, um, and, and during that time when I started, I was like a communist and like, I loved Obama, <laughs> even though he wasn't super you communist, Obama. Oh my yeah, God. even though he wasn't a commie, that's hilarious. but even that's <laughs> somebody, well, that's somebody who wouldn't love Obama would say that. Yeah, I you, guess right? so. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, cause like he grew up Muslim, he grew up mixed race. Like he had a worldly experience and like, so to me, I was like, Oh, I guess it's possible that someone who has like a Muslim name, you know, like every yeah, time yeah, Republicans yeah, okay. or like Barack Hussein Obama made me love it more, you know? But then, like, I, it was during the election with Romney, and then Ron Paul came into the picture, and then somehow I just, like, fell in love with, like, Ron Paul, and, like, got super libertarian, and I remember, like, that, like, after winter break, I came back to my dorm, took down my Obama poster, and then gave it to my friend who was a liberal, Brian Blend. I was like, hey, Brian, here's a poster. I no longer love Obama, and like I'm a libertarian now. Were you like a poli science major or something? Yeah, I was a government international politics. And do you think also being in D.C. made you feel a sense of more politicalness? Yeah, definitely for sure. And also, like the school I went to, George Mason, is like known to be like a libertarian school. For is economics. it on the border, by the way, Washington D.C. and Virginia? Or it's yeah. So George Mason's in Fairfax, Virginia. Okay, right, right. That's how uh, I figured. So yeah, I was like, I was, I met Ron Paul. I interned for Rand Paul. I like was like on a first name basis, like hang, hung out with Gary Johnson, who was like the libertarian like, uh -huh. presidential candidate. I was a treasurer of the D.C. Libertarian Party. Like I was like in it deep. Um, 
and I met like who do I meet? I don't know if you know just I met a lot of like there are libertarian congressmen in office who was still wish me happy birthday on Facebook. I love that. That's so weird. And then um, so I was a libertarian until I went to American University. I went there. And you um, transferred from George Mason to American University, yeah, which is so, in DC. Right. So after the whole hazing thing, it was pretty sad because like I left George Mason to transfer to uh, American to swim because I was also recruited by American University when I was in high school and I would have been like the fastest swimmer on the team and everything. Um, but they like heard what happened at George Mason and then they just thought it'd be like too much drama and they're like, we don't think you'll be a good fit on the team. So that kind of sucks. I transferred to AU put on my deposit and then last minute they're like, Hey, sorry, you can't be in the team anymore. Oh, wow. Well, it must've been also different cause you got a full ride at George Mason, right? Yeah. And then I paid full tuition at AU. Okay. I would have I walked on the team. Okay. But you went to high school in Chicago. Is that how they saw you initially? Yeah. So yeah, I went to high school in the suburbs. Um, and my bad, that's my phone. No worries. Go ahead. Um, and I was like pretty good. I was like two seconds off the Olympic trial cut for the hundred meter backstroke. Oh, wow. Um, which is like, I guess a lot, but like, I feel like if I, worked harder it would have made it um and I was like a I was a backstroker and then mid-distance free and I, I, I swam I represented Morocco in the Air, youth Arab cup when I was like 14 years old so I was like really my parents were like super invested in swimming like I used to during high school I would train before school with my mom and dad and then train with like my team afterwards um so swimming was like a big part of my life like in high school everyone knew me as a swimmer so a lot of colleges would come see me at like championship meets or travel meets uh, and they would scout me. And then sometimes I'll just like email a coach at a certain university and then send them my times and stuff. Was there a reason that your parents wanted you to get involved in swimming initially? Um, so it's funny because my dad's an MMA coach. He uh, coaches like, a lot of UFC fighters. Um, and so initially he wanted me to be like a judo con, like someone does, like a girl who does like judo and like go to the Olympics for judo. But I hated doing push-ups and stuff when I was a kid. And also, I just, like, loved the water. So I did swimming. And then my parents were like, you know what? Swimming's going to get her, like, a scholarship for college and stuff like that. Um, and But that kind of sucked that after a year, that kind of fell apart. But it was just, it, I felt it, it did suck because, like, for my whole entire life, I worked so hard for swimming to, like, not even – my parents wanted the Olympics, but I didn't think that was, like, reasonable. I just wanted to go to college for it. And then after a year – of swimming in college, something bad happened, traumatic happened to like me and my team. And then that was over. So that kind of sucks. Did you feel like a sense of individualism before you went to college though, in swimming, just cause it's yes, you in the water? Definitely. It's uh, funny you mentioned that. Cause I feel like, um, also like being mixed race too, for me, I never felt like I was a part of a certain community. And so that I feel like really swimming kind of helped me cope with that. Where like, People can, I realize it through swimming, if I work hard enough and I like drop time or go really fast or get first place, my hard work will be acknowledged in that way. Um, so I always felt like a sense of individual, like individualism in that where like, I feel like if I work hard enough and regardless or not, if I have support, I feel like I have support from a certain community, as long as I put in the work and like do my best you know, things will work out in the end and people will notice me for that. Has this transferred like mindset wise to comedy and you starting comedy? Definitely. So I will be honest. I feel like I don't want to be mean or like shit talk communities and comedy, but I feel like I am Japanese and I'm also Muslim and Arab. And I feel like I don't, I don't feel welcomed a lot by community, community. Ugh. I don't feel welcome enough. Hold on, let me rephrase this. I don't feel welcomed by some members of those communities and comedy. 
Um, a lot of times we'll see like an all Asian lineup or an Asian American festival or like an Arab festival or Arab, you know, lineup. And I feel like oftentimes people don't see me as them and I don't get booked on it, which like, and now I still like an ask, oh, why am I not booked on these things? But these happened, like, I've been doing comedy for about four years. So it's like four years of this stuff, you know? And um, so that kind of sucks. But then I realized, you know what, maybe like I have a unique perspective as someone who's mixed race. Yeah. Um, and like also what I've noticed too, like when going to these shows, a lot of these comics who come from the same shared identity have very similar jokes. You know, they're always talking like, I mean like sober type jokes, maybe yeah, Muslim. Yeah. For example, I went to like an all like Brown show and like every comic had a joke about how white people can't handle spicy food, which yeah, the premise is funny, but it's like every single one has that joke, you know, <laughs> like I have a joke right now about how I grew up. Uh, Muslim and for 12 years I couldn't tell anyone I was a Muslim because my dad said it wasn't safe to be Muslim and when it came out which a lot of Muslims deal with right and then when it came out to my best friend as Muslim uh he was like oh are you gonna hijack a plane now Yeah, right and then I was like dude I'm Asian and a woman so if I drive a plane into a building you know it's an accident you know <laughs> and right, I, I love like that, that one. right and yeah. I love it. it's such a joke that's like so unique to me though it's like what other Asian woman who's Muslim can like do that joke you know well when, when you mean you came out to your friend is that something that like you weren't maybe comfortable telling people initially like when you first met them like yeah, your I mean, mix of races Right. So like I didn't look visibly Muslim to people. Right. So like I did always feel a little guilty in that that I was able to escape like the prejudice and discrimination of being Muslim um, or being Arab. So for me, coming out was a thing of I guess for me to show solidarity with other Muslim people, but also like to take pride in my identity. You know, I was so like annoyed with like feeling like I didn't feel ashamed, but I felt like by being quiet and not to anyone I was Muslim or I was kind of like perpetuating this idea that's shameful to be Muslim or whatever like that. So deep stuff, but yeah. Yeah, for real. Going from American University, you moved straight to New York City? Um, or what yeah. was that transition? And you got right into comedy? Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's talk about well, it. Well, it took, okay, so it did take a, I was a journalist. Uh, so I spent some time, um, I worked for, I don't know if you remember Mike. It was like MIC.com. It was like the New York Times for millennials is what they call themselves. Um, then I wrote for like the Independent and then freelance a bit for like the Washington Post, the Atlantic or whoever. Um, and I read a lot about politics, which is like funny because like I would write stories about like hate crimes in this country and now security. And then now like I'm opening up my jokes with I'm horny. Like it's not such a weird like juxtaposition, but it took me a while because like uh, I think like I lived in moved to New York six years ago and I did comedy four years ago. So it took about two years of me living in New York to do comedy. Um, and the reason why it's interesting. It's like, I always felt like I was a funny person and I had like a, a, I guess like a knack for like taking something traumatic and making people laugh at that with me. Um, and I also realized in journalism, like I would write about issues that affect like marginalized communities, but people who were like Republicans or who didn't disagree, didn't agree would like, Oh, immediately like you know write me off like oh well she's a liberal i'm not gonna read her news her article or like oh this news organization is a liberal media so it was like really hard to reach people through journalism and i felt like i do a better job in reaching across the aisle through comedy yeah because people want to laugh and yeah. their guards are down so like for me like i went to arlington virginia and i did a show full of like republicans there and um 
And I would do jokes about me Muslim and like hiding my faith and like how, you know, Islamophobia hurted me and like dealing with like, you know, being a like sexual assault survivor. They laughed along in agreement with that stuff. So like that was kind of like eye-opening for me, I guess. Um, but yeah, I feel like, so my started, how I started doing comedy is kind of interesting. I went to, so when I was a journalist, I had a lot of cool friends. Like I had a friend who's like a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. Um, I have a friend who works at the UN where she like partners up with celebrities, like, you know, advocate for certain causes. And so I went to her wedding and I was like cracking everyone up. And there's like Fortune 500 CEOs there and all these like world decision makers there. And they're like cracking up. And this Nobel Peace Prize nominee, she, Amanda Wynn, she was like, oh, my God, you're so funny. You have to do you have to do comedy. I will pay a class for you. Like you will make an SNL. And I didn't like take her off or like, take, you know, for her to pay for my class because I don't want to like it feels weird like it's it's a nice encouragement but I didn't want the idea of like my career being all owed to someone in a way um but like it was kind of so when she like was like you got to do this I'm like I guess I'll try it um so I took a class at the comedy cellar with Rick Crom, and then from then I like you know my first year in comedy I did 585 sets wow so like most of them are mics obviously okay. um but I like to gamify, it was really hard, like, being a woman, um, and, like, also, like, being a minority, like, it was really hard in the open mic scene to kind of, like, feel welcomed, or, like, I, I felt like I got a lot of haters, and also, I came out guns blazing, where I'm, like, oh, all these white dudes are mass shooters, which is, like, not funny at all, but then, like, I started, like, a system where I would, like, have a goal, and then count how many minutes of stage time, I, I just, like, made it, like, a, like, a made a progress tracker, essentially, and, like, for me, that kind of, like, helped me get motivated. I was trying to be more goal-oriented. So at the end of the year, I'm like, hey, at least I completed something. And then the rest is history, I guess. Did you think you were going to go into politics, though, at one time? <laughs> yeah, I went to American University and George Mason because I wanted to become a diplomat. Can you imagine? What, like, is the, what does that kind of entail? I know you guys get your own license plates as diplomats, but that's really the only thing I know. And you can't get arrested, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you can't. Well, there there's limits to that. Uh, well, basically, I want to become a diplomat to so get away with crime. No, I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. And you have your own license plate. Too. Yeah. No. Um, basically, there's like if you're an ambassador, basically you help in your embassy. You help expats or Americans who live in a foreign country to get passports. It's kind of like a support center, I guess, for like Americans who live abroad. But like, if you're a diplomat, a lot of times, or I guess like working in the State Department is kind of like that too, where you kind of like working in. Um, establishing peace talks or like trade negotiate there's a lot of like just relationships with the internet and international community so yeah i don't know to be honest international relations i that was my major i don't even know what the fuck it is i still don't know what <laughs> you it still is. like traveling though um yeah i haven't traveled in a while but i i went to myanmar and then saudi arabia so those are the two most daring places i've ever been to is myanmar the one with a y m y yeah, M Y N A N. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a fascist Disneyland, you know, um, which is like pretty cool. I mean, I guess I got tuberculosis from while you were there. Yeah, I either there or Saudi Arabia. So I grew up Muslim, so I went to Mecca and like did the little like mini Hajj thing, and uh, and it's weird because like I went to Myanmar I think a year and a half before, but after and apparently tuberculosis takes a while for it to show up, but I went to uh, Mecca pray like went to the Kaaba which is the big block box thing and like 
and I came back and I cried and I was like, I love you, God. And like, you know, forgive me. And I came back to America and then I got tuberculosis. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm going to go to hell. Like, <laughs> it was like really scary. But, uh, but I think I got it from Myanmar and it was crazy. I almost died. Like I had spinal tuberculosis, which is like basically the fluid of tuberculosis collected in my spine and it started eating away my, my back muscles and then part of my spinal, not my spinal cord, but like areas around my spinal cord. But I grew up so big that I was putting a lot of pressure into my spinal cord. And for like the last two weeks, well, the two the two weeks before I got my surgery um, to remove it, I couldn't like move my legs. I was in so much pain. Um, and like, it was just, it was crazy. So I had to like kind of get it like uh, almost an emergency surgery. Like they moved pretty fast to get rid of it. Um, but it's funny, it's the guy, the surgeon told me like he like cut it open. It was just like, <laughs> Which is like insane, but I'm okay now. Wait, but was, did this have anything to do with your swimming injury? Um, no, swimming was more of like a shoulder thing, but like I could oh. still swim. But I think the main issue was like, um, just like the university being a dickhead and like the swim team being a dickhead. But you're all good now, health wise, with that tuberculosis yeah, situation. I am pretty good. It's still like uh, reco- I'm still recovering in terms of like my spine and stuff. So I ate a lot of part of like my like my discs and like my muscles around that area. But I'm good for the most part. I used to do like jujitsu, like Brazilian jujitsu, a lot. Um, but I can't really do. I'm I'm trying to ease into it because there's still like a lot of moves and like a lot of exercises where it has a lot of impact on the lower back that could kind of like fuck it up. So. <laughs> well, at least you're at least you're doing well and you're getting better, right? I am getting better. Let's yeah, talk yeah. let's talk about comedy because you're all over the place. You do a weekly show at Revision, eight PM on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday. Right? I just did it the other night. It was freaking amazing. It was oh, packed thanks. out. Like as soon as I went on stage, I was like, I, Holy so, shit, there are a lot of people in here. No, you're not. It also like I really enjoy I like like I like having you before me because you have good energy. Thank you. Because I will be honest, at the beginning of the show it was kind of tight. Um, and I feel like the energy was a little bit dip and you came on and you just like brought the energy up and that's why I called you a jester, but I don't know if that, like, I feel like you're meant to do comedy cause you do have like a King's jester vibe. Like you're a really silly dude. You, you make everyone entertain and be a part of it. So like, I thought you were like, you really kind of set me up for success with my set. So I, I, just, I do want to say thank you I for love that. that. Of course. Thank you yeah. for having me. And I also, I want to stop by this, this mic that I've heard about for oh. freaking years. I don't know so much about it. Please tell us, uh, everyone watching and listening, the heckle mic. Yeah, that mic is so crazy, dude. Okay, so every Friday we have the heckle mic and basically it's, I should call the roast mic or the roast show because a comic will go on stage and we'll give you like three minutes. You don't need five or 10 minutes to be yelled at. It's like too traumatizing. But you go oh, on stage. I would love that though. <laughs> I would love 10 minutes you, you to be yelled it. at. You can do it. You can do it. And you would, you would handle it well. All right, good. I'll host. You let me know anytime. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, so then three, so you go on stage and then people just start shouting things at you. Like, um, like someone told me that I look like, oh, like, I have a friend, you know, Robbie Collins from South maybe, Africa. Maybe I've seen the name. He's a comic from South Africa. He came to visit and I, uh, he's a really funny guy. He opens for Trevor Noah, Jeff Ross, but he was like our special guest and he is South African. So I called him Neanderthal Mandela, which is like pretty <laughs> funny. And then he went back with, okay, albino precious. And like, aye, aye, <laughs> aye. and that like killed me. But like, it's a lot, it's really funny because you have to think quick on your feet, you know? A lot of times I notice that comics will just get yelled at. It's, it is insane because like sometimes a comic will just get up on stage and before they could grab a mic, people will start shouting things at them. But it's, I think it's a good exercise as a comic to learn how to control the room. 
um, and how to shut people up. But yeah, you should do it. It's so much fun. hundred percent. I would love yeah. to. And I think also, um, you know, you obviously have experience just hosting. I think in general really mm-hmm. kind of allows you to just like take energy, give it back and then also control the energy. Yeah. On stage, like your you know? show, like for example, the one of the stand, which is, once a month on a Tuesday. Bi-weekly, right? bi-weekly, bi-weekly Tuesdays. Tuesday. Check the link in this YouTube video, by the way. We have Comedy Night with Ted Jones, August 4th. I believe that is the day we are dropping this episode. So guys, Hell check yeah. the link in this YouTube video. Get to Comedy Night with Ted Jones. We have an amazing lineup, 9 p.m. tonight, all right? You're, Hopefully you're we saw some tickets this, left. You're so good at like hosting and <laughs> nice, nice uh, pause there. But like, I... Uh, a lot of hosts I notice in comedy don't know how to keep the energy up. And then sometimes it's just like if a show, I've seen so many times where a comic would bomb and then they always bring the next comic and not try to reset the energy. But you do a great job of like always keeping that energy up. So I'm not trying to gas you up or anything. No, no, no I appreciate it. It's the it's for the love of the pod. It's we, the we Ted love Jones it here. world. Yeah, you know? there we go. We love it. And then also you were killing it on stage. So do you think that your host energy transfer to transfers to your regular set energy when you just go out mm-hmm. throughout the night and do other people's shows? Yeah, definitely. I like, so I like to take credit or like, I like to be known as someone who could like bring the energy up in a room and also like someone who could like break open a crowd. And I think that's like kind of fun. And then the challenge is a comic where like, like, I love it when the room is so tight. I take it as like a challenge for me to kind of just like crack them open. That's great. Um, and I think the hosting part really helps because like you, like I always have a mindset of like, I'm here to entertain and to make people let loose, where I feel like a lot of comics, which I also understand, they're just there to do their set and do their material. It's more like me, but I kind of like it to be more of a collaborative, mutual uh, experience with the audience and me. How comfortable are you on stage right now? If somebody was like, "All right, Sarah, go up there as much and do as much time as oh, you like," all the time, yeah. <laughs> like I, so it's I love the Grizzly Pear. Check it out, <laughs> um, MacDougall Street. But there'll be Saturdays, which is like come in, and then like Kenny Warren, who's great, would be yeah. like. Hey, Sarah, can you just do 10 minutes right now? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. I've done like, I think 20 minutes once by, just by accident. Um, I'm an accident. I like walked in like, Hey, can you do some time? And like, um, and then the next comic was running late. So I didn't she even know. Yeah. So that's pretty fun. But when you were headlining in DC, how much time were you doing? I did 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's as much time as you're comfortable doing on stage I did right more. now. I did 30 minutes and I forgot a lot of jokes and a lot of jokes I didn't have. Um, one thing I would notice that like, what's really fun is that like, I, for 10 minutes sets, five minutes sets, you have to go pretty quick because you don't have a lot of time, but with 30 minute sets, I feel like you have to be, I want to be consistent and part of being consistent is pacing yourself. And that's why I've noticed a lot of comics that I like, like, I don't want to name names, but there are like a lot of comics who are like set up punchline, set up punchline. And they're kind of like, as an audience member, it's kind of tiring to just keep laughing at every punchline for 30 minutes, you know? Um, so I like, I do prefer doing longer sets because I just pace myself more and I do a little riffing and crowd work too that like, you know, kind of just like eases the audience into it. It just, it just more, I guess like laid back and relaxed sort of like chaotic and hyper. So you're more comfortable doing maybe longer form stories over a 30 minute set? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I also feel like it's. Because when I'm doing like a 10 minute set or a 15 minute set, I feel like I had to get as many laughs per minute in, you know what I mean? Um, and like with a longer set, I don't really care so much about the laughs. I care more about like what message I'm telling them. And then obviously I'll get laughs, but like it just allows me more time to focus on what I'm really trying to say. 
What are you most looking forward to? I guess, you know, the summer's not almost over. I don't even want to say the summer's over, okay? This is li- this <laughs> I hate freak the summer, dude. me out when I was in middle school, seventh and eighth grade. Why? You don't like the summer? Like going I back hate, to school I, would do, freak I me like, out. So I wear, like, I still wear fall fits in the summer because I have a weird, like, phobia of other people's skin when it's sticky and stuff. <laughs> like, 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 when you're so in like the, the sub- subway. My, oh, yes. Yes, my, the subway, right? It's just like, it's so sticky and gross. I just, like, don't like the stickiness feeling. You know, very fair. Like I would obviously like wear a swimsuit to the beach. That's fine, but when it's in a crowded area, I just understood. You get a little it. claustrophobic, maybe. Um, I don't think it's a cla- just just a texture and a stickiness. And like some people don't shower well or like yeah, or just the frizziness, don't right? Well, my hair, hair is really frizzy right now, okay. but that's what I hate uh, for myself. But like. I think like sometimes people have like chicken bumps on their skin. Okay. Well, not to shame, <laughs> not to shame at all. Cause I've like had breakouts. Chicken bumps. Oh, I guess they are called chicken bumps because right? they have those things on their legs, the chicken. Yeah. And it's just on the back of the and arm. Then, yeah. And turkeys also have that too, right? Turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. So just like, oh, I just don't want to touch it. <laughs> I feel terrible. What are you uh, most looking forward to though? Maybe towards the end of the summer coming into fall. You have anything exciting coming um, up? Well, I, this will come out uh, after, but I'm excited and hopefully he doesn't cancel, but we have David cross doing my show on tuesday Dope, and revision Tobias. yeah let's go did you just reach out to him uh, yeah he's on done it before DM? he's done it pre-pandemic That's he follows great. me on twitter so we like uh you know dm each other sometimes and um so he, i'm excited for him and then i'm headlining the baltimore comedy festival when's that um in september the Com- baltimore comedy festival yeah not i'm wow. not the sole headline there's okay. a lot of headliner shows but i'm one of the headliner shows in baltimore comedy festival which is cool is there a reason why you still kind of go down there a lot I just love this scene, dude. I feel so bad because, like, D.C., I felt, like, so loved, like, the D.C. area by them. And, like, I did eight shows. They all killed. Everyone was, like, super friendly and nice and supportive. And then I came to New York, and I was a little sad. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm in New York again, which is annoying because I love this city. And I do love comedy here. I feel like here is like, where you really develop as a comic. But I just, like, for me, I just don't like when people are, like, snooting and mean and there's, like, clicks and stuff. And I noticed it's like really magnified in, in, or I guess like intensified in New York City. So for me, it was just like, I feel like in New York, it's less about how funny you are and more like how cool you are, which sounds, I don't know, people might hate me for saying this, but I do feel like that's the vibe. Whereas when I'm traveling to a different city where they don't know who I am, I feel like I'm solely judged on how funny I am. Well, in D.C., do you feel like the crowd maybe, you know, being in D.C., just because there's so many politicians and people who work in politics, maybe the D.C. comedy crowd is more diverse? Definitely. The crowd, the audience members, like uh, audience members are so diverse there because you have people who work in government, but also like different, like, you know, sectors in the workforce uh, and like different age groups. But I also think that like in D.C., people come there to do comedy because there isn't much to do in D.C. like for fun. Well, what do you mean people come there? Do you mean like people, Sorry, to audience come here to see, members? Yeah, they come here to see comedy and want to laugh. Whereas like in New York, you're competing with like all these other like live events. Yeah, and, well, like, also other I think things. New York is also spoiled. You know, you can go to a comedy club in Bushwick on a Wednesday night at 9 p.m. and see right. some of the best comics you've ever seen in your life where that right. would never happen in any other city where you and go even to just then you'll see like a headliner who like headline stadiums and you'll see a Brooklyn a Brooklyn audience and I'll be like Ugh. you know yeah. like it's crazy yeah and um, yeah, I feel like you rarely see shows with um an audience that has you know eight people in it you know like in dc mm-hmm. you'd never really see that. it's packed so they had a sh- i went there's a show that's really fun that everyone should check out if you're a comic try to get on if you're an audience member just definitely check it out called kind of live comedy on fridays 
Um, it's a free show, but it's like every week, it's like 100, 150 people there. Wow. And it's always a good room because people there are like to, there to laugh their asses off. And I also imagine like working in politics is like really, really either mind-numbing or stressful. So it's like a nice stress the relief. The tie is likely mm-hmm. very tight. Definitely. A lot of, a lot of Clark Kent's in there. Okay. A lot of, a lot of well, that's good. Yeah. So. But they should be moving to New York. Why? I don't know. I feel like New York is more... I don't know. Uh, New York is, I love Fun. living here. Like I would, I would rather live here than in, in LA, but do you spend I, any time in LA before I interrupted? No, you. no. Okay. Oh, you're such a good feminist. Do you acknowledge it? And then you apologize. You know, I was almost <laughs> a women's studies minor. Oh my, I minor. do see that. Minor. I do see and that. And also the, uh, <laughs> the professor that. in class, I was sitting like this and she was like, see, this is a confident man sitting here. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. I was sitting like this. <laughs> I was like, just fire plus. <laughs> yeah, literally. She's like, this gay guy over over here you never know he's gay <laughs> just give me a freaking a that's hilarious yeah dude. but um, i was a women's studies minor almost Continue. that's crazy yes. um but was, oh yeah wait what were we saying oh, no, I, before i interrupted you <laughs> no it's okay i forgot probably not even born uh oh yeah would i move to la or have not been to la yeah um no i like not really i've been there a couple times to visit my friends but never for comedy uh i just like i'm really bad at driving like one time when i was 17 my mom teached me how to drive a car and i drove it into a building not because I'm Muslim, just because I'm really bad at it. <laughs> Not because I'm a Muslim, so there because is, I'm a woman. There is truth to that joke I had earlier. I really did. It was in my dad's dojo, too. It was crazy. Um, so I'm like really bad at driving. And like LA, you have to drive everywhere, you know? So I don't think I could ever live there. Were you guys just there on vacation or you lived there for a moment? Um, I lived there for a moment when I was younger. My mom's ESL teacher is a family friend. Been a lot of places, it I sounds have, like. You bounce yeah. around to a lot of different schools. Um, well actually not for high school, middle school, just like, I think, um, elementary school maybe for like a bit. So, but, uh, yeah, I've been all over, but I like New York the most, just that it's still crushing here a little bit. Any thoughts about maybe being back in Chicago? Have you been? No, my family, my family lives there. I love them, but I also love missing them, you know? So I would rather like, they're great. I think I need to be an independent person. Like I, um, I, I don't want to feel, I feel terrible saying that like whoever, if I'm spending time with someone or like in a relationship with someone, that they'll hold me back. But I do feel like I need a freedom to like do what I need to do creatively, you know, professionally and stuff like that. And I feel like with my family, when you live with them or you're by them, you have an obligation to always like, you know, be around them and like sit with them and stuff. And that's, I kind of sound heartless. I do love spending time with them, but like, I'm still in my twenties and I, I have dreams and goals and I can't, I don't want to like hold myself back from achieving them. When you go back there, do you do spots and stuff? Um, not really. Cause I think I want to go. I think like maybe this year, but before the end of the year, I'll definitely go to Chicago to do some spots there. Cause I heard the Chicago comedy scene is great. Yeah. So bad. Um, it's just that like, I think, cause I grew up in a conservative Muslim family. And so they're, they, they actually, a lot of them haven't seen my comedy. And I'm glad for that, <laughs> but like they're, um, and I also feel like they're very critical, like as Asian and Muslim parents go and they're critical, not out of like, you know, malice because they care a lot about me and they care about how I represent myself and how I represent them. Um, yeah. So I, and I need that creative freedom and expression. Right. And I feel like with them, I, I kind of shelter myself a bit and censor myself. So I don't like doing comedy when like I'm hanging out. With Have them. your parents seen you do comedy? They see me do a zoom. Com- they see me do clean sets. If that makes sense. Well, you're doing like corporate zoom shows over the pandemic. Yeah, I actually, one time during the pandemic, I did um, a, a zoom comedy show 
as the headliner for like 560 like <laughs> state faces rep- yeah but they're like state representatives and congressional people that's great who got yeah. you this gig um some like nonprofit that worked with like you know like civic engagement and stuff and i had to do all these like super clean jokes um and my mom saw that and she was like oh i love how all these jokes are about us because it's like uh, right. Muslim. You're, like, you're lucky that was a clean set mom yeah. i will say i won't say who this person's name is but i did have a joke about how my mom used to beat me and a famous comic stole i mean i don't want to say she stole it maybe but for me i feel like she did because she saw me do that joke or they sorry they saw me do that joke um they took it and they put it on their on their special i won't say what networks i feel like that would give it away they took that joke and my mom saw that and she's like you should sue them because that was me who beat you <laughs> and like and then they're they're taking my work and i'm like i don't think mom i don't think you want to admit that you've hit me <laughs> as a child but uh so she's seen she's heard that joke and stuff it's funny because i have a joke about how my mom like used to beat me and she would like laugh at it <laughs> like thinking it's funny uh-huh. um, i don't think a lot of people <laughs> would think that's funny but whatever <laughs> how did the pandemic affect you like did you move back home or you were here doing zoom shows how did that look i stayed here i did a couple of zoom shows honestly the pandemic was really rough for me because i kind of just like i don't know i want to take a break for a bit because i was like really going hard in comedy and then when you're like and i lived in this like tiny apartment in the east village at st mark's where like for me to like i would open the door and i had to go like this because it's like so narrow um and i was like and i didn't go outside so you really couldn't go outside so like i kind of like went really like hermit mode and like didn't do any comedy and stuff and like just focus i get i don't know it was hard i had my cat it was really sad honestly for like four months i was like that and then funnily funny enough my sister's always mean to me and always like negs me and stuff she was like you should do comedy again because you actually you are pretty funny and you're pretty talented so like hearing my sister encourage me and telling me i should go back into doing comedy kind of helped um it took a bit but like it took a lot of willpower but i think i started back in june 2021 so So, almost over a year what happened in march 2020 like did you have goals and aspirations shows coming up and then march 2020 hit and you were like oh this is awful yeah it's crazy so uh i don't know were you there at the comic strip audition thing the lottery thing no so um in 2019 i think comic strip had this like one day where all these comics can go in and like wait in line for a lottery ticket and then they will like pick their audition date to get past at a comic strip at a later date. So in 2019 I went and then I think my, my audition date was like eight months later in March 2020 and it was a day like March 15th and it was the day that um sorry it was the day that COVID happened and they called me like, Hey, your spot, we have to reschedule like for two weeks or something. Yeah. And then it's been a year and then now like, Oh, sorry, we have a new booker. So we can't do that. And it's crazy. Cause like, I, like, I, I understand them. It's not like, a, I'm not trying to like harp on them. I totally get it. Um, cause I'm, I'm sure there's also a lot of so many other comedians an audition date after March, 2020. Um, so that kind of sucked. And I had goals too. Like I had goals of like getting representation by like 2021 and like, um, you know, taping an album during that time. And then like that kind of all went away during the pandemic. So, but also the plus side is that like I had time to do like a refresh and reset and I feel like I've been more mature in my comedy and what I want to try to say, I guess. 
So this is a good therapy session. This is a great episode. I'm <laughs> yeah, loving no, this. Really? I don't yes, know. No, I feel I like am, I'm being seriously. funny. For real. You're being great <laughs> and funny. March <laughs> March 2020 for me, I um, was taking classes at UCB. I okay. had a tryout for the Lloyd team at UCB. I'm not sure if you're familiar. They perform like once a week in an okay. improv group. And the audition, audition was like March 18th. Okay. So everything got pushed back and then UCB unfortunately closed down. So I needed to get more involved in stand up. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I started doing my own show in Chelsea here and then at the stand. But I also was a college athlete. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Oh, no. I played tennis at UConn and like my oh, whole yeah. my whole middle school and high school career was just focused around being a tennis player and potentially becoming a pro. You should meet my friend. Um, he's like a really TikTok famous dude now. He's like 1.5 million followers on TikTok. But he went to the University of South Carolina oh, and he, he was a tennis, tennis player. There? Wow, mm-hmm. that's a really good Sammy school to Swank. play tennis. Watch out, Sammy. How uh, old is he? Uh, he's pretty young. I think he's like 24, 25 Oh, now. wow. And where's he living? Now he's in LA. He's living in big now. He's doing comedy? He did. He started doing scene up. I met him doing scene up here at Broadway Comedy Club oh, and all these so other funny. places. Uh, and we like, I'm like, people joke about how I'm the orientation leader for new comics. Cause I'm like, I think I'm a pretty friendly face in your people. Um, so he started doing it and then the pandemic happened. He moved back home upstate and he had nothing to do. It's just his sketches on TikTok, and, uh, it blew up. Now he has 1.5 million followers moving to LA and like doing, I'm sure he has a lot of deals coming up now. So like good for him so yeah, yeah that's great and ucb is actually still open in la not sure if he's like um associated with them oh, it's I don't just know. An, Maybe imp- an improv studio there's the groundlings too right yeah mm-hmm. so i was doing that here and it closed and then i was kind of like all right what the shit am i gonna do i was doing my podcast but at the time i was working for my dad's company that's what i did for six and a half years before mm-hmm. i like did comedy full-time okay so i i don't want to say that the pandemic kind of made me go back and just help my dad out for a year and change but that's kind of what ended up happening because like right around March 2020, I was like, all right, I want to do comedy full time, this improv, oh, nice. stand up and do the podcast, the vlog, comedy shows full time. But I wasn't able to just because like there was no work to be had, really, right. you know, only like Zoom, Zoom shows were existing. Yeah. So like you said, the pandemic kind of made me reset and like rethink how I kind of want to do things. Mm-hmm. So while it was like definitely a tough journey for everyone, I think that ultimately people are coming out of it more refreshed and a different love for life mm-hmm. being like, all right, I need to go outside and need to do certain things. Random. Are those her tennis badges or? Oh my gosh. That's not random. We can whip <laughs> them out. Okay. Yeah. So these are, these are from the U S open. I don't know if oh, I can yeah. pull, it, pull them off. I have so many of these from my like swimming meets and like, Oh, oh shoot. I dropped some, but got- yeah, look at that. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Oh, wow. There you go. But yeah, this is from the US Open. And I'm looking for another US Open pass, by the way. Anyone listening or watching, you can get me a player's pass. I would love that. I've been a player guest four times. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking for a media pass to okay. get in through Ted Jones. I used, to, so I we'll used to have my own like media startup, and I would like go like interview Iconopop and TI and all this stuff. Nice. People. I so this is weird, but I feel like you give a vibe of like a superhero, like a Deadpool character. Mm-hmm. You should take. I mean, that's really bad advice, maybe, but you should take on the persona with your man on the street interviews. I could just see you as like, like Superman, like Shazam, or like Deadpool, or like just like go around interviewing people. That's the Dressed vibe. Out? I get. Yeah, it's, all right. That'll make you stand out more too. All right. There's so many man on the street interviews. You gotta, you gotta, you know pop out somehow that's true Mm -hmm. i like that man on the street so sarah before we get out of here let's plug yourself where can we see you 
what show next you are we going to see, see you on? in your local bathroom. No, I'm just kidding. That's really <laughs> the local bathroom. bathroom. No. Um, you can see me. Uh, I have a show every Tuesday and Friday at the Revision Lounge. It's lit. It's lit. It's literally lit. On Instagram, I'm at Sarah Amy We're going to pop it up right here, so why don't you just hold it? Uh, at Sarah Amy Harvard. Follow, click, subscribe. That's, in, that's Instagram? <laughs> that's Instagram. And then same for TikTok, at Sarah Amy Harvard. And if you want to email me, it's Sarah at SarahHarvard.com. I love that. Not yeah. everyone gives their um, email yeah. address out, but yeah. I do love the at SarahHarvard.com. Yeah, I do it. That's amazing. I should have been me at Sarah Harvard, but I did Sarah at Sarah Harvard. You, well, you can make another one, right? That's true. I can and then do that. that'll be, yeah, you have the me and then have your manager or whatever. That's true. Do the other one. Sarah, thank you so much thank for coming so on the much, Ted Jones Sarah. World Podcast. And we'll see you guys on Monday. Peace.